This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Welcome to all of our new listeners, especially if you really enjoyed my interview with Noam Chomsky. The old podcast numbers went absolutely through the roof uh, yesterday. Not everyone enjoyed the interview, it turns out. There's still some Corbynistas on Twitter. Who knew? Anyway, welcome along. If you are new to the podcast, a special welcome to the woman I met in an Italian restaurant on Tuesday night who told me she'd just finished listening to the podcast and really enjoyed it. So hello to you. Do tell your friends about the podcast or don't forget as well, you can listen to the show live 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Times Radio. Listen on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker or on the Times Radio app. Coming up on today's episode, it's PMQs Unpacked. It's PMQs like nobody else does it. Tim Shipman and I pause the action live from the House of Commons to analyse the key exchanges in real time. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, as ever, it's the Wednesday Columnists. The Columnists with Ali Burt, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. And we say a very good morning to Robert Crampton in the studio. Morning, Robert. Morning, Matt. And Alice Thompson is somewhere impossibly glamorous. Where are you, Alice? I'm not actually. I am in Stansted Airport and I've only just got through. I was uh, talking you up. You're at an airport. That's jet, your jet setting. <laughs> but I will be jet setting. I am going to Italy to, do, uh, to do an interview and then I'm going to have a quick holiday of the bank holiday. <gasps> Nice. Why do it's you get to do that? When I, when I do an interview for the talk, I get to go to Westminster and speak to Steve Baker. Yeah. Which, went, is, fi- yeah. which is fine. It's very oh, nice, but... I went to Braintree. Yeah, and Robert gets... Yes, you went yeah. to Braintree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why did you go to Braintree? I know, you have to Migrants. talk up a bit more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, we're talking about it, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we are talking we about it. Yeah, yeah, we, we're... Um, we're uh, yeah, we'll join it. Anyway, well, have a lovely... It's nice to uh, be able to speak to you before you get on your plane. Um, you fly... Presumably you're flying first <laughs> class, aren't you? The glamour... Yeah. Uh, right, let's start uh, first Get of all. Get actually easy jet. <laughs> we were just talking about that, but probably not for our on air. No. <laughs> right, let's talk first of all about uh, they're celebrating in uh, the Home Office this morning. They've reached, amazingly, they've reached their target to recruit 20,000 more police officers in England and Wales. It's up 20,951 since 2019, uh, which was obviously a big promise of Boris Johnson's. We should point out it is actually only up a little bit on 2010 before they cut all the police officers up to three and a half thousand. Um, uh, the, I mean, good news. Do they get any credit for this, Robert? We've replaced a lot of the police we cut. I guess it's 
I guess it's good news. Yeah. Uh, will they get any credit for it? Probably not. I think uh, most people don't really. Uh, most people don't really listen to these announcements, yeah. and if they do, they're probably quite skeptical about the statistics. Uh, and the, the the real, I mean, the real change will be made if police start turning up to investigate crimes yeah. that have been committed against people because the list that, that that they don't investigate seems to get longer by the day. Uh, and also, uh, if they don't, if some of them are not revealed to be sex offenders, that yeah. would be that would be that handy. Would be so, if some of these, if these new people and fine, upstanding, well trained, well motivated men and women, then great. Uh, it's but there is a credibility problem with the police, which is to do with quality, not quantity. And there is a risk that in the rush to meet this completely arbitrary de yes, deadline. Indeed. Yeah, they might have uh, done that. Interesting, actually. Um, Alice Mark Rowley, who's the uh, Metropolitan Police Commissioner. Is a th he London is a thousand officers short of their target. Uh, over the they've recruited nine thousand officers over the last three years, uh, it, which is he describes as a, a very short period, the most they've ever uh, recruited in such a short period. He says, obviously, we are striving to maintain the quality. That's really important. So he's both missed his target, but also rushed to recruit them. So there, there's bound to be that concern, isn't there, uh, uh, Alex? Um, yes, so the, um, my problem is exactly what Robert said. It's actually quality, not quantity in the end. Because, you know, we don't want another David Carrick. We don't want another Wayne Cousins. And, and actually, Mark Brody's got to get better people in. So whether it's 20,000 that have been badly chosen or, you know, 10,000 that have been well chosen really matters. And at the moment, a lot of the recruitment's been done by Zoom. And I just don't think you can tell, actually, on Zoom what someone's going to be like. Or indeed, when they're just on the phone, uh, live from Stansted Airport. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, yeah, suspicious character. And actually, I suspect you're right that actually, whether or not people start seeing more bobbies on the beat, or they feel like crime is less of an issue, and that's yeah. a, that's a much harder thing to, to yeah, and, and, and takes long and takes longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, let's talk about then uh, the migrant boats. So the the, the legislation's in the House of Commons this afternoon. But Rob is really interesting piece at the weekend. Uh, you went to Weathersfield. Yeah, Weathersfield is a small village not far from Braintree, yeah. North, North Essex, where. Uh, just up the road from the village, literally just up the road, I mean half a mile away, uh, is an old, uh, what was an American airbase air during the war, uh, which then went to the RAF and which the Ministry of Defence still own and maintain. Uh, and they use it as a training facility and so forth. But it's there and the proposal is, so whether Braverman wants to turn it into a uh, centre mm. whilst uh, asylum seekers' claims are being processed. Uh, for fifteen up to fifteen hundred young single men, uh, the locals predictably don't like it. Braintree, including the local MP James Cleverley, including James Cleverley and Priti Patel, the yeah. neighbouring neighbouring MP, and Braintree Council uh, took the Home Office to court for an injunction, uh, and they lost. Mm. So, in theory, I'm not convinced that this will happen, but in theory, it can now happen that the Home Secretary has designated this as a camp. And there'll be up to fifteen hundred young guys there, and they won't be fenced. They'll be free to come and go. Yeah, so that was interesting. I think that, that people might have been surprised by that. The, yeah. the, the idea is it's basically a bed and a meal. It's a bed and like. a meal. There is a fence. Uh, it's not much of a fence. I went to have a look at it, and I don't think it's going to be strengthened. But they can sort of come way. and go as they please. They just happens yes. to be where they live while they're waiting. That's right. And the local people, Weathersfield is a village of about seven hundred people. A lot of retirees, and uh, they're not happy. And. Uh, 
I found myself kind of sympathising with them. Uh, I don't, you know, there's a there's a tendency of pe- people like me who live in London to think of all these uh, people uh, sort of nimbys and mm. xenophobes or worse, uh, and they really they really weren't. Uh, I mean, they were nimbys, I suppose, yeah. in the sense that they didn't want it in their backyard, but they were tremendously sympathetic to the uh, plight of. My, uh, made no distinction between asylum seekers and economic migrants, incidentally. Yeah. People are, are equally sympathetic to both. Yeah. Uh, but they just don't want the size of their village effectively trebling mm. uh, when their own services are not great to begin with. And I sympathised with them, and they didn't, you know, they said it was not a thought-through policy, uh, it was a sticking plaster, and they're kind of right, aren't they, really? And honestly, this is the sort of the people on the front line, really, of the sort of the the rhetoric and the legislation and the slogans that you get from from ministers in Westminster. Yes, I mean, what I thought was actually incredibly, you know, they, they just seem really sympathetic in a way to these people's plight, but it is just not on my backyard. And that is the problem, is that none of us would, however small or big your village or town, or yeah. even in London, I mean, when Robert's suggestion is that maybe, you know, maybe they could be in London or they could be in a big urban conversation, but what they really need to do is be processed much faster mm, yeah. and then also just have jobs at the end of it, because actually it's the jobs that count that then they'll have something to do. I just feel incredibly sorry for them hanging around with nothing to do. And actually, you're completely right. The, re- the, the very need for this camp is mm. in part uh, an indictment on the failure of the Home Office to process people more yeah. quickly. Yes, it they is. basically let the number of people come here go up and up and up, and then yeah. going, oh, yeah, well, perhaps you ought to process it. And the suspicion is that a lot of these people, they'll kind of melt away into the black economy. Yeah. And I mean, I would if I were them. Yeah. Uh, and the local people's feeling was that the government might not be too unhappy about that. Yeah. Because we know we need we need the Labour. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's a short distance from London, and uh, you could, you know, hitchhike to London in a day. You could walk yeah. it in two days, and uh, then they'll be sleeping under bridges in London, but they yeah. won't be uh, sitting in hotels costing the government yeah, yeah, a fortune. Yeah, yeah. So there's a suspicion that a sort of cynical view is that that is, that is let kind people of what, sort of drift away, yeah, and blend yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a great piece anyway. Well worth looking up on. Thank you. Uh, or looking up online. Alice, let's talk about your column. Uh, the Royals, blended Royals point way to divorce reform. Charles and Camilla, uh, obviously both uh, divorced themselves, but, you know, families getting along. Well, it's the fact that actually Camilla's got quite a lot of her family at um, the coronation. So she's got her children, she's got her grandchildren participating, she's got her sister who's going to be a sort of maid of honour. Um, so it's very much both their show. And then on the balcony, they're going to have both the families. And that's quite modern now because it is a sort of, blended family and it's what quite a lot of us have at christmas you know easters when you know you have your own graduations or birthdays or even funerals that you know nothing's as simple now as sort of nuclear family and i think it's quite good that actually the one thing king charles can do in sort of modernizing is to show that he's a very normal family in some ways and it's a great change i remember interviewing i think charles and camilla you said they've been married for 18 years so it's 2005 i think it was a couple of years oh, wow, before yeah, that a long time isn't it i remember interviewing george carey the former archbishop yeah. of canterbury who and he said, "Oh, we must let we should allow Charles and Camilla to marry. Uh, they're in love, and it caused quite a stir at the time at the idea that they should be allowed to marry. They weren't yeah. allowed to marry in church, of course. They yeah. had to have a civil ceremony. But even that's only twenty odd years ago. Yeah, and that, and it's caught and it was a kind of radical suggestion that they should be allowed to marry at all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so." Yeah, I mean, Alice is, uh, I mean, pointing out all that, uh, and the whole thing about, you know, Princess Margaret couldn't marry a, couldn't marry a divorced man, and that's going back further, and this is, what a change that has, that has 
uh, you know, and it symbolizes a big change, and so therefore it's a, it's a great thing. Yeah, and the point that you make, Alice, is that well, I was quite surprised by this. The divorce rate in the UK is 42%. So is that 42% of all marriages end in divorce? Yeah, actually, we've got slightly fewer divorces now than we had just before the pandemic. So it's got slightly better. But it's still the fact that we can't really see divorce as failure when nearly half of the people who are getting married yeah. do get divorced. And Robert and I are really lucky. And we both, you know, both have been in marriages for years and years mm. and years. Way too long almost. But um, <laughs> uh, I think you, you have to say, you can't be um, a sort of smug married because I think a lot of it is luck. And I think we just need to help people stay together as much as they can. But if they're not going to be able to stay together, you want the children to have the best opportunity they can to be with both parents, really, don't you, whenever they can. Yeah. And actually, you know, the, the whole idea of, you know, you, you get married, you spend a nice time together, and if it all fizzles out, it's fine, you know. So not, I'm not in any way suggesting that there's any fizzling out going on in the Chorley household. <laughs> or the Thompson household, or, or the Crampton household. Or, or, the, or indeed the Crampton household. No, we're very right, this, is, this feels like a minefield that we should probably get out of before. <laughs> now let's start swearing instead. Yeah. <laughs> right, is it ever okay to swear at work? Uh, this is all prompted by the uh, revelations in the Anthony Seldon uh, book about no. Boris Johnson's time at number 10, where um, a, there seemed to be a lot of swearing, including apparently Boris Johnson using the C word quite a lot. In a moment, we're going to hear from someone who got the sack after using that word. But um, it's worth remembering that uh, one person who's got no compunction about swearing in the office, or indeed on air, <laughs> it turned out, was Robert Crampton. Let's take a listen to what happened. Well, uh, Robert, it must be the first time you've had a Prime Minister younger than you, isn't no, it? No, no. Uh, oh, it's the first time no. I have. Cameron's uh, Churchill was Cam <laughs> I apologise. I apologise. Cameron, I apologise for potty mouth Robert Cram. Instinctive reaction. I mean, you're not the f you're not the only person to use the f word on my show. No, I think it's a tribute to you. You make it so conversational, yeah. and relaxed. You know that I just thought I could tell you to f off, like yeah. we were in the pub or something. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, somebody else did it. They came on and did the quiz when we, one of the party conferences. They came on and did the quiz and got a question wrong, and just hit the top of their voices just shouted the f word. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. And there is a lot of swearing in uh, in 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 news in journalism. Yeah, there yeah. is. It's a kind of part of the. Uh, it's part of our self-image, I think, yeah. swearing. And I sometimes think it's a bit, it's sometimes a bit much. You get nice youngsters arriving, you know, and then uh, six months later, they're swearing like a docker. <laughs> I can say like you a docker, but we probably swear more like, more than, more, you know, more than dockers. Or, and the young people yeah. wouldn't know what you meant when you were said a docker. No. Sorry, I'm swearing like a docker. <laughs> no. What? Or a minor. What? Or a sol soldier. Yeah. Trooper, what, isn't it? What, Trooper. Uh, what do you think about swearing in the workplace, Alice? Well, our problem is that we do so much on sewage now that we're constantly saying the S word, which actually you always blank out still. But it's quite hard not to say it when you're talking about stuff going down on toilet, basically, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a, the, well, the league table, the Ofcom league table, what you can and can't say, is worth a read. Yeah. The C, the C word is, is, is still pretty bad. It's still pretty bad, which is why we're... I think it is the worst word, actually. Yeah, yeah. which is why we're talking about it now. We wouldn't... I mean, that's the new last taboo, isn't it? Yeah. So, basically, Kate Spicer wrote a piece for The Times this week on exactly this, and she's on the line now. Hi, Kate. Hello there. Uh, thank you for joining us. Without saying it, uh, explain <laughs> how you lost your job as a result of swearing. Well, it, it wasn't a job. I'm, I'm freelance and it was during the, I'm a freelance writer and uh, you might think I might have a bigger vocabulary, but uh, uh, anyway, I, um, I took a job during the pandemic uh, working on a, a, a startup, a, an internet startup. And uh, we were all sort of confined to Zoom and screens for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then finally we were allowed to meet and um, we all sat drinking tea. It was a very sort of luxury, high-end job and uh we all sat drinking tea on the roof of a restaurant and um 
I, I didn't notice at the time, but I apparently used the C word. I don't know how many times, but I used it enough <laughs> for the woman who was the most prestigious person on the project to quietly insist that I'd be got rid of. <laughs> and, and, um, and, but, and my piece in the Times is basically about how it was a sort of slow descent from me understanding it was a very bad word and sort of having sort of feminist tussles with the fact that the word for female genitalia was the worst swear. And, um, and I go through this sort of decades long journey of trying to reconcile what it is I feel about the C word. And then somehow it just sort of creeps into the lexicon. And so off the back of the Anthony Seldon book and, and the, so apparently Boris and his chums at number 10 were using the C word constantly. I just thought, well, it has crept into the lexicon more and more and more. And particularly in certain industries like that, if you look at Paul Dacre, apparently was famous for being a double C worder. So he'd use it twice in a number of different grammatical forms in sentences. <laughs> and I think some industries are clearly much more C-U-N-T-E than mm, other yes. ones. Um, the media being one and clearly politics too. Yeah. <laughs> but not in, but not new business startups. <laughs> No, I mean, I really, I really, uh, really balls, balls that one up. <laughs> I, have to, that one. I have to remind myself. You notice it when you leave, go out of London as well, and you meet uh, middle class people who who aren't in, you know, the city or the media or politics or whatever. Oh yeah. And you yeah. realize, you suddenly realize that you're the only person around the dinner table swearing freely, and then and you and, you, and people don't, you know, they don't swear nearly as much as as is common. Uh, and women, mm. women as well. Yeah. It's, I, I think I in in the piece I talk about how obviously I'm I'm in my early fifties now, and I've got grey hair, so I definitely shouldn't be using the c word. <laughs> but uh, but also I I obviously I came of age in in the nineties with the whole ladder era and when loaded was this important cultural kind of signifier of where we were going, where manhood was going, and there was a lot of you know women were going to strip clubs, women were suddenly drinking pints and talking about how much they love football and wearing parkas and looking like Liam Gallagher rather than, you know, Margot <laughs> Fontaine. And um, and using that word was very much part of joining that um, geezer yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. femininity. But it, it, was, it was a really bad era for, for feminism, yeah. really, when, when saying foul words and <laughs> drinking pints is a signifier of equality. I think we're not heading in the right direction. I think there's a bit of that with the Boris Johnson thing as well. It's a, it's a signifier of sort of being one of the lads or being yeah, one yeah. of the Yeah, yeah, and it was all written in the context of it yeah. being like a it was like working uh, class because Lee Kane and Dominic yes, Cummings were... And, well, and Lee, Dominic Cummings was northern, so that counts as being... Yeah, it's class. like, you know, the whole football thing. <laughs> all northern Blair, people are working class, exactly, yeah. Yeah. And they all swear like troopers and have Blair and Brown and the whole football thing. And, yeah. Uh, Often working class people don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't swear like that. Well, listen, I'm going to draw a line Glas under it there. Glasgow is an ex Glasgow is an exception, though. I don't think it's even considered a swear word. There. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to draw a line under it because we've got through a, a whole conversation about swearing without swearing. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton there. You can read the stories we were discussing. Just hit the links in the podcast description. And don't forget to subscribe to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, Tim Shipman, the Sunday Times chief political commentator is here. Tim, how are you? I'm very well indeed, Matthew. <sighs> what do we think might be on the agenda today? Well, I think we're probably going to get a smorgasbord. We've got local elections next week, and Keir Starmer is probably just going to want to hammer his messaging for that, I would have thought. Um, Everybody I'm speaking to says it's cost of living, crime and the NHS on the doorstep, and people don't much care about anything else. Three things that local councils, of course, play no real role in uh, running. Correct. But um, (laughs) that's the politics. Um, And there have been a couple of little gifts to Starmer in the last 24 hours with the Bank of England saying people just need to get used to the idea that they're skint and they're poorer than they were before. And I think, uh, you know, George Osborne, not terribly helpful for the Tories either, describing the trust government as political vandals who a indu- uh, self-induced financial crisis. I mean, obviously, Rishi Sunak can distance himself from that, but uh, sort of, uh, if you're looking to trade soundbites, sort of thought we might be hearing both of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, he did a lot on crime last week. That's a, a perennial theme. Um, whether he wants to get into the, the coppers, I don't know. Um, but I think cost of living will feature pretty heavily. Uh, well, lots of you posting online what you think might uh, come up. Well, Toby says, where is Tim Shipman? He's here. Uh, someone else says, I'm glad we've moved on from union paymasters and kamikaze budget. Well, we might not have. We might not have. <laughs> Based on what Tim was just saying, we might be back uh, right there. Uh, Samantha's listening back in the polytunnel in Shropshire. Hello. Uh, Heather says, hello, team from Barton-on-Sea. Uh, uh, who's this? Someone is in Horsham. Uh, Tom's tuning in from Haven't. Anthony's in Dubai. So lots of people uh, watching along on on the uh, on the YouTube channel. Do you think uh, how bad do we think things might get in the local elections last week? I think we talked about this a week or so ago that that, that warning that the Tories might lose a thousand seats. They were quite pleased with because I think they're delighted with that to be honest because they vote. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's, it depends which spin you want to accept. I think there's a general view that if Labour can pick up. Five, six, seven hundred seats. That won't be a bad night for Starmer, but he's, you know, um, uh, he needs to do well. Um, Sunak, I think, will be trying to avoid a total meltdown. Um, and if he can do that, he can say the ship has stabilised. Um, both parties, it's a bit confusing because both parties did quite badly the last time these seats were, yeah. were fought. Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May did, did badly. Um, Sunak would hope to do slightly better than Theresa May did. Oh, this and is like spring 2019. Yeah, exactly. They've both ago, got yeah. 28%. Yeah. So the Tories would hope to scrape to about 30, I would have thought. Yeah. And Labour would hope to be nudging towards 40. Um, yeah. 
a lot of councils changed hands then as well. So are lots of them now going to... You know, the Actually, ones the Lib- that fell or may have already fallen. The Lib um, Dems did very well. They did around that time. Yeah. So they'll, yeah, they're, they're sort of starting from a higher base. In that sort of in that period, the parties that were doing well were the Lib Dems, who were very, very pro-Remain, and mm. and the Brexit Party were very, very yeah. pro-Brexit, yeah. and and the other the two big parties were flailing a bit. So it's a little bit difficult Do we, unless we, you're we a change UK still a thing. I can't remember. The, they did fight those elections, yeah. yes, but disappeared down the plug hole. Yeah. Sad times. That was sad sort of times. the last moment for them. So they had what from February to May, effectively, yeah. as their period in of glory. Yeah, yeah. Um, they burned bright. Well, they burned bright actually for about four days, yeah, didn't yeah. they? And and they then, were, but they were leading in a. And the rest of the three months was them tearing themselves apart. I um, tell you what, when I got up this morning, I did not think we would take a trip down the Change UK memory lane. But no, well, it's all going to be in my next book, so it's I've on, my, on my mind, which is out. Oh, June, July, still being finished. <laughs> It's, it's approaching. I you know, yeah. we're, we're approaching. We're, we're, I'm writing about Rishi Sunak's Brexit deal now. Have you not so finished it exciting. yet? No, I've not finished it yet. No. HarperCollins are very good. They turn these things around very they, quickly. They, yeah. A lot of words to turn you, around. You, you ought to publish it in parts, like a Dickens. That would have been highly preferable. <laughs> right, very good. Uh, let's go. Now we can go live to the House of Commons. This is PMQ's Unpacked. Question number one from Keir Starmer. Uh, Mr. Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the brave British personnel involved in the evacuation effort from Sudan? The Government must do everything in its power to urgently evacuate UK nationals still trapped in Sudan. Mr Speaker, yesterday George Osborne said that the Tory party's handling of the economy makes them vandals. He's right, isn't he? Well, <laughs> Treasury spokesperson, and I raise you one in return. Well, well done. That's a good, you know, normally our, our preambles, uh, we, 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 we never return to them because they're always wrong. But yeah, absolutely bang on, going with the uh, with the George Osborne, uh, the George Osborne quotes. We should explain, so George Osborne and Ed Balls were up in front of a select committee yesterday. Yeah, I think it was all about the Bank of England, wasn't it? Yeah. And how independent they are. Uh, but also, I think someone has been watching the Andrew Neil show on Channel 4 and thought, well, they're, they're a good double act. Yeah, well, they were. They were dragged out for one of the general elections, weren't yes, they? And they were, on ITV, yeah, And yeah. they were much the most entertaining thing about the whole the whole kit and caboodle, really. Yeah. Uh, so that's why they were doing that yesterday. Well, there we are. Uh, you're vandals, aren't you? No, Ed Ball says we're not. Let's go back to the Brilliant. comments. Question number two from Next. Keith Starmer. Well, that, that, that former Chancellor not only said there were a bunch of Tory vandals, he also said there was a self-induced financial crisis on the country. Yeah. That's those vandals. And they like to pretend that it was all just one week of madness last autumn. But the truth is, it's been 13 years of failure. Real wages, the money in people's pockets, have fallen by £1,600 per household. £1,600. The Prime Minister's response to impose 24 Tory tax rises in three years. 24. How on earth does he think his low growth... High tax economy is working for working people. 
Prime Minister. Mr. Mr. Speaker, because of the action that we've taken on the national living wage at record levels, on pension, on universal credit, and the generous cost of living payments, just yesterday, Mr. Speaker, almost eight million households receiving direct support from this, cost of, this Conservative government. We are supporting working people. But just this week, Mr. Speaker, in the other place, we've seen his party side with protesters and with picketers. He should actually try backing working people. <laughs> the, the commentary said we were past the strikes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah I'm, afraid, I'm sorry about that. We've Union Paymasters and Kamikaze Budget. We've basically drifted into both of those. Uh, I'm sorry about that nerd 777 on the YouTube channel. Um, the, the 24 Tory tax rises and the low-growth, high-tax economy. I mean, it sounds very much like Keir Starmer's got Liz Truss uh, drafting yeah. his questions for him. This was a... The low back to the, the Tory leadership contest the low last growth, summer. The low-growth, high-tax economy isn't working for working people. Well, I'm not quite sure why Michael Howard had to come into it <laughs> at this point. I think, there's, I, I think there's, a, like, there's a quiz in who's saying people. Is it Keir Starmer or Michael Howard? People. I think it's very similar. People. 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 Working people isn't working. Do you think we can string out this for another 26 well, We might have minutes. to. If they keep doing <laughs> such short questions, we're going to have to. People. Uh, I mean... A little bit telling as well that Sunak's sort of list of achievements with which to combat that wasn't very long. No, and not terribly detailed. Just pensions, uh, minimum wage, yeah. protesters and picketers. Picketing people. 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 Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons question three from Keir Starmer. Lost £1,600 worse off. Mr Speaker, I'm genuinely fascinated to know, does he really think that everything's fine or is he just clueless about life outside of his bubble? Mr Speaker, because, because of the actions that we have taken, well, let's just go over it. A single mother, a single mother working full-time on the national living wage, this year will get £1,300 more support from this government. A working couple on low income with two children will get £1,800, Mr Speaker. That's what delivering for Working Britain looks like. But if he has any actual ideas for the economy, he should say so. Because all I hear from the party opposite, it's more spending, more borrowing, higher inflation, higher interest rates. It's the same old Labour Party. Uh, oh, hang on, there's a lot. I'm just still making notes. There's quite a lot there to, uh, to unpick. Um, <laughs> so he boasts about the increased spending helping people out and then says all you want is more spending. Yeah, I think it's the, the, the joining it together with more borrowing and yeah. higher interest rates and all the rest of it. Um, but as you rightly observe, these are quite strange political times where um, you know the government has had to step in a lot and a Tory government has, you know, both through Rishi Sunak's um, intervention during the pandemic and with Liz Truss's, um, you know, astronomical amount of support for uh, keeping energy bills down last year. Those are the two biggest peacetime yeah. uh, state interventions we've ever had, and both of them happened under a Tory government, and that sort of turns all the arguments a little bit on their head and makes it quite difficult. What Starmer did with the question, though, was once again to try and paint Sunak as this sort of out-of-touch uh uh, rich man um, who doesn't get it um, and I think you know everybody sees enough in the focus groups and the polling to know that that is a bruise which is worth him punching. Yeah we wouldn't you wouldn't describe that question as the uh, most um, specific why doesn't he just get out he's just clueless about life outside his bubble 
that that was his question. Are you yeah, clueless? it wasn't really a question. Um, but he's keeping it short and tight, and yeah. um, that's not often the worst way of uh, approaching PMQs. And it's sort of to attack Labour saying more spending, more borrowing, high interest rates, high inflation. That's basically where we are now. It is, though his argument will be that he's bringing all those things, uh, turning them in the right direction, mm. and he would hope by the end of the year to be able to point to uh, each of those metrics having got a bit better. Um, and his argument at the next election um, will be that, you know, it, we've actually we've, we've done something about this, don't yeah. let them take you back to where you were a year ago. But if you're looking at a situation, you know, that classic question, um, which, uh, you know, famously gets asked uh, in American presidential elections all the time, are you better off than you were four years ago? Um, you know, if Starmer does that on one year, two years, uh, 10 years, 12 years at the moment, all of those answers look pretty bad for yeah. the Tory party. Um, Sunak hopes that by the time of the next election, he'll be able to say, are you better off since I took over? Um, and he hopes there'll be a yes to that as well. Dan on the YouTube channel says, when Keir Starmer speaks, you hear Michael Howard, I hear Zippy from Rainbow. Whereas Michael Howard is... People, people, people. Who's that phoning you? Uh, it's my literary agent, actually, probably wondering where my book is. Get off the radio and follow... Oh, no, don't, Jeff. Uh, right, very good. Uh, let's go back to... Oh, you should be able to do George as well. Oh, that's good. The hippo. Yeah, oh, no, good. George, you need to be quiet. We need to go back to the House of Commons. It's question number. This is very much not what people were expecting me to do. <laughs> question. Change UK, you know, some rainbow impressions. You're not getting that on radio for you. Oh, let's go back to the House of Commons. Question four from Keith Starmer. This is Mr. 24 Tax Rises. Yeah. And I've never heard anything so out of touch as the answer that he has just given. And it's not just his refusal to take any responsibility for the damage they've done, the crashed economy, the hit to living standards. It's also he refuses to take the action that's needed. He could stop the handouts he's giving to oil and gas giants. He could scrap his beloved non-DOM status. He could put that money back in the hands of working people and get the NHS back on its feet. That's what a Labour government would do. Why doesn't he? Mr. Mr. Speaker, the record was clear. Look at it right now. Record, record numbers of people in work, Mr. Speaker. Record numbers of people in work. Inequality no lower. The number of people in poverty lower. Those in low pay, the lowest numbers on record, Mr. Speaker. He talks about this London thing. I think he's already spent the money that he claims he'd raised on five different things, Mr. Speaker, because it's the same old Labour Party. They're always running out of other people's money. Definitely give, give that one a ding. Somebody actually uh, said that they thought we might be getting closer to that. There's no money left. That was dangerously close to that. Uh, Matt's been in touch saying highbrow political coverage as ever. Thanks, Matt. The Rainbow Alliance says Aaron. That's oh, pretty good. Very good. Well, very good. Top political journalism bungle says Jonathan. Can't do bungle, I'm afraid. Fortunately, there's most of the political class along to help <laughs> us with that one. <laughs> Here all week. Uh, same old Labour seems to be a thing that, uh, that Richard Sunak's been told to say. Yes, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's, as I said, the argument he's got to map out is mm. that, you know, it's uh, it's dangerous to go back to the Labour Party. Um, it's quite hard to make that argument um, after everything the country's been through in the last six years. Um, but, um, you know, 
that's his that's that's what his approach is going to be, and that's the only argument he's got really. Um, I mean, again, some sort of you know a bravura attempt to twist the the figures in his direction, but you know. It's all very well lecturing people, telling them that you know inequality is lower and that there's the lowest number of people on low pay there's ever been. But if you're one of those people, um, it's not really very persuasive. Um, also, it's possible for inequality to be lower because everyone's got everyone's poorer. skint. Yeah. Yes, we've all got nothing. And um, actually, even poverty is a relative uh, value, isn't it? Yes, I mean it, it, the official figures are done as a percentage of the you know of the median or whatever. I think, can't they? So um, if everyone's if everyone's worse off, you you can. It's quite easy to have uh, to reduce poverty, reduce, poverty reduce relative poverty, relative poverty, because just yes. make everyone poorer. Yeah, very good. You see, you it's get amazing a... that governments, you know, yeah, exactly, in between the rainbow impersonations, yeah, you uh, get some occasionally get analysis. some analysis. That's uh, right. We'll go back. Well, we're up to question number five now, aren't we? Uh, question number five, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Mr. Speaker. <laughs> oh, 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 Lindsay holds up. Had enough last week. I'm certainly not having this continuous noise. So just be aware that somebody will be going for that cup of tea today, Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, he calls it this non-dom thing. Let's be, let's be honest about what his refusal to scrap the non-dom status means. Yeah. It means that at every possible opportunity, he has voted to put taxes up on working people, yeah. while at the same time taking every possible opportunity to protect a tax avoidance scheme that helped his own finances. Why is the Prime Minister telling people across the country that their taxes must go up so that his can stay low? Mr Speaker, the fact of these, the very wealthiest pay more tax and the poorest pay less tax under that today than an un, under any year of the last Labour government, Mr Speaker. We've also boosted the national living wage, boosted universal credit and pensioners. But Mr Speaker, the rank hypocrisy of it, as we saw, as we saw last week, when it comes to his own special pension scheme... I said, I said it last week, but I'll say it again. It's, it's literally one law for him and a tax rise for everybody else. <laughs> He'll say it again because he can't think of anything else. Uh, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's the, you know, one law for your wife and one law for you, sir, yeah. um, debate. Um, and I suspect that won't be the last we're hearing of it. Um, Sunak just seemed a little cavalier about this whole non-dom thing. Yeah. Interesting the way that Starmer frames it, though. He frames it as being about the Prime Minister's finances. He's not attacking the Prime Minister's wife, yeah. which would sound slightly ruder. Um, so that's probably quite clever. Um, um, and, and it is true. It's the, the charge that Labour have at various points suggested they would raise the money uh, and then spend it. The, what they said they would spend the money on has changed at various points. Uh, that is true. Um, they would doubtless say we're now spending it on this rather than this. Yeah. But it's quite an easy bit of research for the Tories to say you've pledged this money to this, 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 this and this. Um, you know, we're, we're where we are, which is... I mean, how, but it's interesting, sort of, they're squabbling over very specific things. Rishi Sunak's wife's non-dom status versus Keir Starmer's pension deal for money was directed to public prosecutions. It's all a bit small ball, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I don't know. Sometimes those very small things, I suppose, like if you've got two kitchens, or whatever, they do. They well, do, they do cut, cut through. They can cut through. They don't, I wonder they when, don't cut through until they do, I suppose. But at question six, you would hope that um, there's going to be an attempt to provide a peroration, a peroration of an umbrella peroration, and I would imagine, you know, uh, 
I can't think of well I well I sort of guessed right what Starmer would do and he's sort of done it. I can't really remember anything he's particularly In said fact, about any of it. I mean you um, could have he could have the used slogan? he could have yeah. used the Osborne thing and then just gone through a whole load of toys. Yeah. Uh, attacking their own record. That would have been a better thing potentially rather than I don't feel like we've made a lot of ground uh, so far. Let us know what you think. You can well, post... and, and, the, and, and the argument he was making last week about how nothing works, he could have turned the vandals line yeah. into vandals on they, crime. They've broken Britain. They've broken, they've broken yeah. the courts, they've broken the economy, they've broken the health service, and he hasn't done that. Um, you know, Labour has sharpened up its operation, but let's be honest, it's not as sharp as it would be if Jordan Bungle Bung and Zippy, Zippy were running it. George and Osborne, George Osborne. Um, yeah, do do post in the comments if you want to on the uh, on the YouTube channel. Let us know what you think about uh, how it's going and who's won. Because so far it's a score draw which will be remembered for very little other than uh, us doing impressions of George and Zippy. Right, we go back to the House of Commons then. Let's, let's brace ourselves for the peroration. It's question number six from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker... Here's the difference. I'd scrap his pension giveaway whether it affected me or not. He refuses. He refuses to scrap the non-DOM status that benefits him and his family. This, I can see why he's attracted to this non-DOM thing. This Prime Minister is so removed from the country that he boasted that he didn't know a single working-class person. So insulated from reality that he proudly told a Tory garden party how he'd moved money from poorer areas and handed it to rich ones. So out of touch that he looks at a petrol pump and a debit card like they've just arrived from Mars. Is it any wonder that he smiles his way through the cost of living crisis while putting other people's taxes up? Is it any wonder he doesn't have a clue how food prices are hammering families across the country? And is it any wonder that under him people are paying more and more and getting less and less? Yeah! Mr. Mr. Speaker, let's just we'll just look at what's happened just in this just in this week, Mr. Speaker, where the Labour Party have put themselves on Monday in the other place. They decided to side with extremist protesters. Just yesterday, they sided with polluters, Mr. Speaker. And tonight, and tonight, and tonight, and, to, and tonight, and tonight, we will see them siding with the people smugglers, Mr. Speaker. I tell you this: whilst we're in the business of sending back the 1,000th illegal migrant from Albania, Mr Speaker. We're delivering cost of living payments to millions of households just yesterday and today we've announced we put 20,000 more police officers on the street, Mr Speaker. We're siding with the British people, Mr Speaker. That's what the Conservative government does. So, how was that as a, as a peroration? Well, it was a bit livelier than what had yeah. preceded it. Um, I mean, it, interesting, Starmer didn't really sort of, to me, pull it all together, but what he did do was hammer a whole series of little stories yeah. that may lodge themselves in people's brains. You know, that thing back during the leadership election of Sunak saying he'd moved money from rich areas to poor areas, reminding... No, the opposite, from poor areas to rich areas. Poor areas to yeah. rich areas. Yeah. yeah. The, reminding people that, you know, he appeared not to know how to use a... <laughs> You know, that was uh, what in the budget last chip and year. Pin, yeah, uh, and he looked he, very confused. He turned up in somebody else's car. Yeah, which borrowed owned, car. He borrowed a car, filled it up with petrol, and then appeared not to know how to pay for the petrol. And 
you know, Tories are sort of dismissive of this whole stuff about, you know, the Prime Minister's out of touch. David Cameron, I think, was rather better than Sunak at dealing with it and saying, mm. you know, what matters is where you're going, not where you came from yeah. and all that kind of thing. But Sunak is so rich that it, you can't help but, you know, he, he's never had to worry about the cost of a loaf of bread or, or how much it costs to fill your car. Um, and... That line from Starmer, I wonder whether that's that we, you know, we said he didn't hit on anything. Smiling his way through the cost of living crisis, yeah. Rishi Sunak's a sort of upbeat chap. He tries to sort of um, put put a brave face on things, but if they can turn the prime minister, kind of letting this, you know, batting this stuff off in the chamber into a, you know, something where. He just looks a bit uncaring and a bit blithe about it all. And that actually, could be quite a clever line. Smiling his way. That, that, I mean, that's that's a clever because actually he then did appear to just find it all very amusing. And even Sunak could even deliver the the counter attack with a straight face. Even he was laughing at saying that they've sided with extremist protesters, polluters, and uh, people smugglers. All the peas. All the peas. Some of them are people. People. Um, expect, can you? Are you able to explain what happened yesterday with the sewage story? No. Right. Try to do it. Yes. Okay. Uh, Labour had an opposition day debate on uh, trying to basically embarrass Tory MPs for voting in favour of having poo in rivers, essentially. And they thought they were very clever. They're going to take control of the order paper and they're going to humiliate Tory MPs as voting for it. And along come the the slightly cleverer Tory whips, who instead of amending the motion, just deleted it. So they ended up basically having to vote on nothing, which uh, meant that Tory MPs didn't fall into that particular dirty water trap. So that's what that's what that was about yesterday. Um, but yeah, I just wondered, yeah, the, the sort of... Because he is quite smiley, Rishi Sunak. He is quite smiley. You could see a, 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 you an, can imagine a billboard. A lot, uh, you can see a billboard with a little chink of light off his yeah. tooth Ding. as he enjoys the fact that inflation's still quite high. Uh, somebody says, says something when rainbow impressions are the best bit of PMQs. I thought, I thought Ken Starr was very good. What did you think, George? Well, I, I think that Rishi Sunak did his best to sort of try and combat that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, Zippy. I always defer to you because I'm a bit frightened of you. <laughs> That's the sort of searing political analysis you expect from the Times and uh, the Sunday Times. Uh, because that was so short and uh, uneventful, we've probably got time for a bit of hot Stephen Flynn action, haven't we? Ooh, before uh, the big, break. Before the break. I know, it's exciting. Let's go uh, back to the House of Commons today. <laughs> this is, was either that or we do five minutes of uh, rainbow impressions and I think we might run out of material. Um, let's go back to the House of Commons then. This is SNP uh, Westminster leader Stephen Flynn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I ask the Prime, can I ask the Prime Minister to outline the safe and legal route available to a child refugee seeking to flee Sudan and come to the United Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, as I outlined earlier, our priority in Sudan, first and foremost, was to evacuate our diplomats and their families, which I'm very pleased. We were one of the first countries to be able to do, Mr Speaker. And since yesterday, we've been conducting a large-scale evacuation of British nationals. We have some of the largest numbers of British nationals on the ground, and rightly, and I'm sure the whole House will agree with me, that it is reasonable, legal and fair to prioritise those most vulnerable families, particularly those with elderly people in them, medical conditions, but also children, Mr Speaker. That's what we're in the process of doing, and I pay tribute to all those who are making it possible. Leader of the SNP. 
Mr Speaker, to be clear, and I think everyone in the House is aware of this, children in Sudan are already dying. Now, whether it's a Tory slogan to stop the boats or a Labour slogan to stop small boats, we need some more humanity in this yeah. debate, yeah. rather than the race to the bottom which we see here today. So can I ask the Prime Minister, now that he has confirmed that there is no safe and legal route, will he therefore confirm that it would be his government's intention to detain and deport a child refugee who flees Sudan and comes to the United Kingdom? Mr Speaker, in fact, because of the efforts of our aid teams, we've, we've invested almost £250 million pounds in humanitarian support in Sudan over the past five years. And, and Mr Speaker, the Honourable Gentleman does it always, but actually this country has a proud record of compassionately supporting those who need our assistance. Just over the last few years, we have welcomed almost half a million vulnerable people to our country, including many children, and it's that compassion that we want to make sure we continue, Mr Speaker, which is why it's precisely right that we make sure that our system is not exploited by those coming here illegally, and that's what our bill will deliver. Interesting that Stephen Flynn, again, Tim, trying to look in both directions, attacking the Tories, stop the boats, Labour's stop the small boats, and we're the, we're the nice guys in this. Yeah, that's right. Um, and the Tory immigration policy is basically we're going to stop bad people coming here um, illegally, um, and that might involve stopping some good people coming here illegally. And what we want to do with the good people is set up these safe and legal routes from you know war zones and places where um, uh, people might need rescuing. It's perfectly clear that in terms of Sudan, unless um, a Sudanese child can get himself on uh, an evacuation flight for a British national, uh, they ain't got much chance of getting there anyway. Um, and there isn't a, and you know, Flynn is right to identify that, you know, in situations like this, it's quite difficult to set up a safe and legal route quickly enough, um, even if you want to, um, uh, to assist people like that. Um, and so there's always going to be that kind of moral argument um, against what the Conservatives are doing. Um, you know, politically, though, they're on uh, pretty firm ground because uh, most of the time, uh, you know, the polling suggests that the public, um, while it is compassionate about people who need compassion, that, you know, if there's a default mode, they would rather it was on the side of toughness rather yeah. than on the side of leniency. And I suppose it, go, but it goes back to the thing of, like, what's highest in people's minds? And right now, the concern about people coming up illegally is highest in people's minds, but then, you know, you go back a few years and there's that terrible picture of the child who died on a beach. Island Kurdy. Yes, and then, and then suddenly, yeah. the you know, public opinion can switch and it's possible for people to hold two views at once. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, oh, that's totally true. Well, that brings us to the end of the first part of PMQ's Unpacked. Um, there's a long uh, discussion going on now on the YouTube channel about what on earth we were doing. Uh, and some people have say they've got no idea uh, what, what, what we were doing. Well, they need to go and Google, have a Google it. Have a, have a go on YouTube. And if you're on YouTube anyway, open another window. Uh, and you you can uh, you can look up Rainbow. Uh, somebody says it's uh, ITV's answer to Play School. I'm not sure it was. It was more, it was more dramatic than that, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was slightly subversive as well. Rod, Jane and Freddie. I Rod, mean, Jane what were Freddy. they up to? Uh, Lara has been watching the rest of PMQ. Imagine how bad it was. Thank if the Lord the, for that. We brought you the best bits, and Lara's been watching the rest of it. Lara, what do you bring us in the news of the best of the rest? 
So there was, I think the most interesting question was the first question before um, the Starmer Sunak head off, which was from an MP who uh, papers are writing quite feverishly about as a moment of being kind of from the centre of the party, hoping to soften down uh, the kind of toughness of the illegal migration bill, who I think was out trying to kind of flout his Tory credentials with this question, which is really quite something. It's Tim Loughton. Um, oh, we heard from him on the show earlier on. And uh, of course we have him in the show earlier on with some some great Tory catnip, which I think if you listen to now, you'll find it quite hard to believe he's the standard bearer for the progressive wing of the Conservative Party. But, Okay, let's take a listen. Mr. Speaker, yesterday the opposition grabbed a crude headline about teaching boys to have respect for women, an important issue I'm sure the Prime Minister will agree. But, given that the leader of the opposition apparently doesn't know what a woman is, that he won't stand up to defend women in his own party, voicing views on women's rights, according to his own front bench, failed to prosecute rapists when he was in charge as DPP. Does my right honourable friend think that the Labour Party are in any position to teach anyone about respect for women? And is the irony dead? I'm going to bring the plowship. Lindsay well, in fairness, is a responsibility for the answer for the opposition, but Prime Minister... Uh, Mr. Speaker, my, uh, my honourable friend is absolutely right. Uh, the, leader of the, the, the leader of the opposition's record on women is questionable at best, Mr. Speaker. And before, and before Labour do start preaching about this issue, they should work out the answer to one very simple question. I'm certain what a woman is. Is he? Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Let's, let's focus on the content of the Loughton question first of all. Um, uh, explain what happened was it yesterday or the day before that the Keir Starmer would announce this plan that, that he wanted respect taught in schools. So, so yeah, there have been a couple yeah. of uh, of policies with regard to women and girls uh, in the last few days, um, and the one yesterday was that spiking would become a particular offence, uh, and also we saw this pledge for boys to be um, to be taught respect for women and girls in school as part of the uh, mandatory curriculum. Interestingly, Tim, uh, it feels like Keir Stum is on a bit of a journey when it comes to uh, both the trans question and uh, trying to appease uh, women, essentially, who feel like he's he's not been on their side. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think if you look at the polling and you think about what how this might unfold in a general election campaign, you might think that he hasn't quite reached his destination yet. The sadness for me, though, is that the, trans the, the Prime Minister did not answer whether irony is dead or not. Um, I was looking forward to what he had to say about that. Tributes uh, paid to irony in the, in the chamber, perhaps. Something like that. <laughs> I think if irony was dead, uh, we'd all be uh, in Out of trouble. Um, uh, and on the broader question, Lara, why do you think Tim Lawton, who is currently locked in a battle with Suella Braverman, chose that of all issues to go on at PMQ today? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. I honestly think there might be something to the fact that he is reluctant to be to be positioned on the kind of left of the party, perhaps. Uh, this was certainly a question that was kind of geared towards uh, both, you know, Rishi Sunak and wider Tory MPs who will have liked it. Of course, the logic of, uh, of indicating that Keir Starmer can't be uh, tough on uh, violence against women and girls uh, and that it would somehow be ironic for him to try and be so is obviously something that you saw the incredulous faces of those on the shadow front bench uh, that met it. But I think certainly something from Tim Loughton today uh, in trying to make sure that he is in some way insulated from, uh, from possibly being seen as on the kind of more progressive wing of his party.
Uh, Lara, let's try and get this back on track. What else have you got for us? <laughs> um, I've got one that I confess to finding ever so slightly amusing, even though it's, of course, of something serious, which is uh, Dr. Caroline Johnson on vapes, uh, who delivered this question very soberly, but also with a, a rendition of some of the more uh, extravagant flavours of, of vapes in her kind of slightly deadpan delivery. But take a listen to it, because I think it's very interesting in light of what we've what we've heard from the government recently with announcing their so-called vape squads, uh, but also with the kind of uh, stopping short of banning disposable vapes. This is something that a number of Tory backbenchers are actually really angry and want to push the government on. Uh, and so this question, I think, is quite a good encapsulation of that. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, e-cigarettes were introduced as a stop-smoking device, but they're remarkably cheap, brightly coloured vapes with flavours such as unicorn milkshake, a bubble gum and green gummy bear have proved remarkably attractive to children, hooking them on a lifetime of potentially harmful nicotine addiction. Will my honourable friend meet with me to talk about how work across government departments can help to stop our children becoming hooked on vapes. And will he back my 10-minute rule bill to ban disposable vapes? Yeah. Prime Minister. Can I, um, can I commend my honourable friend for her work in this area? I absolutely recognise the concern that she raises, both on the environmental impact of disposable vapes, but also their appeal to children. Uh, DHSE have announced a call for evidence to look at reducing youth vaping, including vape appearance, flavours and marketing. We've also been clear that all electrical waste should be disposed of properly and DEFRA are looking actively at what changes in legislation might be needed to ensure that the vaping sector foots the bill for the collection and treatment of their used products. Interesting that he praises her work without actually committing to any of the things she's asked for. Yeah, he says we're not going to... Basically, yeah. says there's no chance that we're going to be banning disposable vapes, which is, of course, her 10-minute rule bill. Do you know what a unicorn milkshake tastes like? No, and I have absolutely no desire to try what a unicorn milkshake... <laughs> I'm much more into green gummy bears, personally. <laughs> I like the sound of that. But at least I can imagine what that tastes like. How do you know what a unicorn milkshake tastes like? Well, I, I mean, do you, don't, you don't want a meat-based uh, milkshake, what do you do? Do you want a beef milkshake? It seems, seems, it's, it seems niche. Yeah. Well, let us know. I mean, it's, this has been one of the... I feel like I've had more than one unicorn milkshake today. It's been a very weird PMQs. Uh, but thank you for that, Lara. Uh, what time can people expect you in their inboxes today? 3pm. 3 o'clock 3 today. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. So the announce, so annoying. The announced time has got later, but does that mean it's more likely to be hit? It's like the trains, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my... The like, length of the journey is 10 minutes more, but we'll definitely get there well, in, in, the, in, in that, that time. time. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. Uh, th- yeah. Lara will be Lara in your inbox. Spirit, the southern rail of... Uh, <laughs> of afternoon of times, emails. Times emails. The red box, PMQ's <laughs> unpacked email, will be in your inbox at... 3pm. 3pm. And it is brilliant. It is really good. Say. It's really good. It's a very good complimentary, you know, it's basically without all the nonsense, some proper analysis in there. Uh, very good. Uh, and Tim will be writing about Keir Starmer's woman problem at the weekend. If I don't get the there first on elections. Saturday, I might do it for my column on Saturday, so back off. That's all right. You can yeah, have it. Yeah, very good. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and subscribe to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timeswebbox. But now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.